At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. We're going to be in the book of Lamentations. Over the next six weeks, we're going to open up this uh, relatively hidden book buried within the Old Testament prophets. And if you have a Bible and want to follow along, if you open it up about, if you open it up halfway through, just right in the middle, you'll probably hit Psalms or Proverbs. Work your way to the right. You'll see Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. Eventually you'll hit Isaiah, then Jeremiah, these two larger prophetic books. And then at the end of Jeremiah is this small book called Lamentations, only five chapters. Um, If you hit Ezekiel, you've gone too far, come back, and Lamentations is is right before that. And this morning we're in Lamentations chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So just the first 11 verses of the book. So I want to give you a little bit of historical, biblical context as to where this book falls within the timeline of the history of God's people. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The pinnacle of God's creation is humanity. We are his image bearers intended to be fruitful and multiply and spread other little image bearers all over the world so that God's glory can be reflected back to him maximally. That was God's mission for us. Um, But tragically, instead of worshiping and obeying and trusting God, we tried to be God and assert ourselves as God, what the Bible calls sin. Um, God, in his mercy, didn't judge us as fully and rightfully as he could have. Instead, actually, he began to share promises of hope and redemption and renewal for all of creation, especially for humanity. And early within the story of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, just the 12th story in, God really begins to unfold this plan through the man Abraham and his wife Sarah, who would become a family, who would become a nation. So Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had the 12 sons who became the 12 tribes, who became this large nation by the end of the book of Genesis. There's this detour down in Egypt, they're led back to the promised land, in the book of Exodus under the leadership of Moses, things go screwy within the book of Judges and God begins a monarchy to lead his people, especially under King David. Um, But sin continues to prevail amongst humanity, even within God's people. And David's dynasty eventually becomes as corrupt as the pagan nations. And so God in his justice executes justice against even his own people. And what that looks like is that they are invaded by a neighboring empire, the Babylonian Empire, and carried off into exile. And the prophet Jeremiah is ministering during the time leading up to the exile and during the time of the exile. And those are also the circumstances under which we think he wrote the book of Lamentations. He doesn't identify himself within these five chapters, but nevertheless, the historical circumstances of Lamentations 
is someone, we think Jeremiah, lamenting the exile into Babylon. Just like Adam and Eve weren't who they should have been before God, so also Israel, God's people, weren't who they should have been before God. And this is Israel, God's people, lamenting what's happened to them. And it's got a lot to teach us. So Lamentations chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper, because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away captive before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her, her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore, she became filthy. All who honored her despised her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O oh Lord, behold my affliction. For the enemy is triumphed. The enemy stretched out his hands over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your sanctuary. All her people groan as they search for bread, and they trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O oh Lord, and see for I am despised. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How do you deal with suffering? When dreams are dashed, when desires are denied, when hope dies, when hearts break, when bodies 
break down, when money dries up, when vows are broken, when death comes too early, when sickness is upon you, how do you deal with it? Suffering. When the painful emotions then fill your heart, negative thoughts then enter your head, tension and stress impact your body, despair weighs down your soul, discouragement weakens your will. How do you deal with it? Well, this is a key question before us as we open the book of Lamentations. How can we process our painful circumstances? How can we be enabled to work through our agony? Because we all have a sense that we should do something, right? Like let's say, for example, one day you're at work and it's towards the end of the day and you get the tragic news that your spouse was in a fatal car wreck. And when you tell your boss this terrible news, they're probably not going to say, oh man, it's too bad. I am so sorry. All right, well, I'll see you in the morning. And they're probably not going to say that. Most of the time in that situation, they're going to say, hey, take off at least a few days because we instinctively know that we need time. We need space to work through this, to process this terrible circumstances. So we know that we need to do something to work through our pain, but what is it? How do we deal with our suffering? How do we process our pain? Well, the answer that the book of Lamentations holds out to us is right there in the title, Lament. And that begs the question, what is lament? It's not a word that we often use in our culture, but nevertheless, an important word as it regards what God teaches us about prayer. You see, lament is a form of of prayer. Lament is a form of communicating to God. Are you aware of that? Are you aware that there are different kinds of prayers, different forms of prayers? So there's prayers of thanksgiving. Those are the prayers that we often offer before we eat a meal, but at other times as well. Prayers of thanksgiving. There are prayers of petition. When we're asking God, we're petitioning God for certain needs and desires that we have. Prayers of petition. There are prayers of intercession, wherein we are interceding on behalf of another person, seeking God for that person, that God would provide power, wisdom, love, faith, whatever they need, we're interceding on their behalf before God. So thanksgiving, petition, intercession, those are just a few of the different kinds of prayers we see in the Bible. Well, another one of those kinds of prayers is lament. And lament is a form of prayer in which we express our emotions, our complaints, and our faith as we go through suffering. I'll say that again. Lament is a form of prayer in which we express our emotions, our complaints, and our faith as we go through suffering. Now, two out of the three of those things may sound awkward or even alarming to you. I mean, I get the faith part, but the emotion and complaint part, 
Because oftentimes there's a sense in which in order to be as faithful to God as possible, I need to be as emotionless as possible. I need to be under control. I need to keep things buttoned up. I need to be rock steady and show God that I am not swayed by my emotions. I'm rational. I'm sturdy. So expressing emotions at all or expressing emotions to God may just seem awkward or even alarming to you. And complaining? Really? Complaining to God? To complain almost always has this negative connotations. I tell my kids, I beg my kids not to complain. I tell myself not to complain. People who complain all the time are not the kind of people you want to be around. At the same time, we know that there are times in life in which it's perfectly valid to complain. To tell someone, hey, this is wrong, to complain, this isn't right, something must be done. And certainly as we look at the Psalms, as we look at Jesus' own prayer life, and definitely as we look at the book of Lamentations, we see complaints being shared with God by God's people. How do we deal with suffering? How do we process our pain? One of the ways is that we lament. We pray to God, expressing our emotions, our complaints, and our faith. So that's what we're going to be studying over the next six weeks, the book of Lamentations and how God enables us to work through suffering by lamenting. And this morning, as we look more closely at the first 11 verses of this book, we're going to see that lament allows us to ask God the hard questions. If we're going to get honest with God, if we're going to be honest about what we feel, about what we think, then we need to ask God the hard questions. And lament allows us to do that. So first, the author asks, how could this happen? How could this happen? So the first word of the entire book is, and it's also the first word of chapter 2 and chapter 4, is the word how. How? And it carries the sense of how come? How could this have happened? And as we look at these verses, we find out what has happened. The capital city of Israel has been destroyed, and the people of Israel, God's people, have been carried into exile. Look at what he says there in verse 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She who was once great among the nations. She was a princess among the provinces. She's become a slave. Jerusalem, this once populated city, is now empty. Israel, this once joyful wife in covenant relationship with God, is a widow. Israel, the once proud princess among God's kingdom, is a slave. And this again is a reference to the events of 6th century BC, 587 BC, when the Babylonian Empire invaded the promised land Israel destroyed the capital city, Jerusalem, and carried God's people back with them 
to Babylon. This event is often referred to by historians as the Babylonian captivity or the Babylonian exile because God's people were removed and taken captive into Babylon. They were exiled into Babylon. Matthew chapter 1, Matthew refers to this event as, quote, the deportation to Babylon because God's people were deported from God's land to Babylon. And the author cries out, how? How could it be that the city is empty? How could it be that God's bride is a widow? How could it be that God's princess is a slave? And in verse 2, he begins to highlight the results of this devastating situation. He says, she weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. The widowed bride that is God's people weeps bitterly. The enslaved princess that is God's people has no comforter, no friends. How? How can this be? How can God's people lack comfort and safety? Verse 3, he continues, and he's going to specifically mention the experience of exile. He writes in verse 3, Judah, which is another name for Israel, Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. Again, how can this be? God's people are supposed to dwell in Canaan, but instead they're scattered among the nations? God's people are supposed to experience Sabbath rest, but instead they find no resting place and they experience affliction, distress, and hard servitude having been deported to Babylon. So you can see how the author is being brutally honest about how bad it's gotten. And he's asking how, how could this happen? Over the last few years, Meg and I have begun to use an Instant Pot to do a lot of our cooking. Instant Pot is just the brand name. It's essentially a pressure cooker. Many of you probably know how these work. It's a pretty simple process, but nevertheless, to me at least, fascinating how this contraption utilizes pressurized heat and energy and is able to cook foods in a fraction of the amount of time that it normally takes. And it's always fun. Once the dish is done, there's this valve on the top of the pot that's a venting valve. And when you hit that valve, this steam fires out. And I always run my hand through it, through the steam, because I'm entertained by stuff like that. And I'm still 12 years old. Now, that pot can hold a lot of pressure and a lot of heat. But as powerful as it is to hold all that in, it's designed to eventually release it, to vent and friend, the same thing is true for us when it comes to the pressures 
and pain and the difficulties that come into our lives. We're not meant to hold it all inside forever. God intends for us to be honest with him about our negative stuff going on in our lives. God invites us. The book of Lamentations is an invitation. God inviting us to ask him, how can this be? How can my dreams for my baby be over before his life is barely started? How can my hopes for my marriage be broken after so many years of commitment? How can my plans for this job, how can my desires for this friendship, how can my longing for this relationship be ruined? How, God? It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pain. And if we don't let it out, it's going to stay bottled up, internalized, and unresolved. And that is a lot to carry around. But God invites us to relate with him, to communicate with him through lament, to be honest and acknowledge before him just how bad things have gotten. Lament allows us to be shocked and disappointed and crushed and to acknowledge that things are not the way they should be. The princess should not be a slave. The city should not be empty. Israel should not be in Babylon. Lament allows us to ask God these hard questions. How can this be? Secondly, we see lament allows us to ask God, what did I do to deserve this? What did I do to deserve this? So as the writer continues, he shares more poetic and powerful descriptions of Israel's misery, but he also starts to hint at what is at the root of the cause of their misery. Now, certainly the writer could have mentioned the violent aggression and the political ambition of the Babylonians. The Babylonians were, after all, this godless nation that had run roughshod over Israel, destroying their property, forcing them into starvation, pillaging their resources, and much, much worse. So the writer could have lamented all of those things, and eventually he will. But here, at the start of the book, the author starts to hint at what's at the root of the cause of their suffering. Look at verse 5. He says, Her foes have become her head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Sure, the Babylonians afflicted the Israelites, but ultimately it was the Lord who afflicted his people because of the multitude of their transgressions. Look also at verse 8. Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. You see, it ultimately was not the Babylonians who contaminated the Holy Land. It was Israel who contaminated the Holy Land because of their sin. 
And through the Babylonian captivity, God is executing justice against his people. The Babylonians are the means in which the sovereign Lord is accomplishing his will to punish Israel. The Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of their transgressions. So as the poet is lamenting this dire situation, he's also reflecting on the cause of this situation. He's reflecting on Israel's own culpability in the situation. In other words, he's asking, what did I do to deserve this? Last month, Meg and I were able to listen to a public discussion, a panel discussion with two Chinese pastors who are now pastoring and living in the U.S., but they have been in China in recent years, and they've helped care for and support the Chinese church in their visits back home. And this panel discussion was them sharing what they had learned from their time serving with Chinese churches, specifically lessons they had learned from their fellow Chinese believers as they experienced persecution for their faith from their government. And the two pastors said they were struck by this, that they were told whenever one of them was arrested for their faith, that they would use the time in the back of the police car, handcuffed, all alone, headed to prison, they would use that time to repent. They would use that time to confess their sins. And the two guys sharing this story in the panel discussion were like, repent? Why do you need to repent? You're suffering for Jesus. You're being persecuted for your faithfulness, not your sin. And these Chinese Christians would say back to them, yeah, that may be true. But we know that our suffering is a chance for us to be purified because we are tempted by the comfortable life. We are tempted to live lives of ease and cozy Christianity. And so we see our suffering as a chance for self-examination and to be honest before God. God, what are you trying to purify in me? What areas of my life need correction? What dark corners of my heart need illuminated? What desires of my flesh need to be brought to the cross? That was their attitude and their suffering. Now again, we have to be careful. We have to be careful not to assign every terrible act as the direct result of personal sinfulness. So for example, it would be wrong for us to say that a woman who is raped or abused deserved it because, well, she's a sinner. That's ludicrous. And it would be wrong for us to say that a married couple lost a baby due to their own previous premarital sex. That's crazy. We shouldn't say someone got cancer because they sinned in a certain way. All of that is ludicrous and not biblical. Instead, we should respond to people, victims of crime and terrible loss, with compassion and mercy. We have to be careful not to assign every terrible act as a direct result of personal sinfulness. 
at the same time, lament does allow us to ask God, what did I do to deserve this? Lament does give us a chance to self-reflect. Lament does give us a chance to look in the mirror and ask God, what are you trying to teach me? Is there any waywardness in me? And while there may not be a direct line of causation between our personal sin and our bad circumstances, we can always lament the fact that our world is broken because of sin. Death and disease and famine and hate and division and war are all the result ultimately of human sin. And as individual sinners, we've contributed to that global brokenness. Lament allows us to ask the hard questions. How could this happen? What did I do to deserve this? And finally, importantly, it allows us to ask, God, do you see? God, do you see me? Look at verse 9 again. Referring to Israel and the desperation of her situation, he says, Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. So the first thing Israel says directly to God is, behold my affliction. In other words, look at my affliction. God, see my suffering. Then jump down to verse 11. He says something similar. Again, referring to Israel, he writes, All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. This is the cry of God's people as they suffer. Lord, look. Lord, see, do you see me in my suffering? Are you aware of my misery? Have you seen what's happened? The implication here is it sure doesn't seem like it. It seems like you don't see me, God. It doesn't feel like you're aware of my pain. God, do you see? This again is one of the hard questions lament allows us to ask, enabling us to get real honest. With God. When I was in high school, playing football was a big part of my life and something I spent a lot of time focusing on. And our practice field was kind of at the bottom of a hill. And a bunch of the dads would come to our practices towards the end of the practice later in the afternoon when we were scrimmaging and our dad's work days were finished. And the driveway leading up to the practice field sort of went along the top of this hill. So we'd practice at the bottom of the hill, and the dads, my dad, would look down over us as we practice. And the same was true for the games. My dad would be in the stands looking down over us as we played. And to play football, you've kind of got to at least have a little bit of appetite for torture, you know? You're going to be blindsided and pancaked and bruised up and cussed out and many opportunities to suffer. But it was encouraging 
It was strengthening to know dad's watching me. Dad sees me. Dad knows what I'm going through. Dad cares. Dad's close by. That's the heart of these suffering people. They just want to know, God, do you see me? God, are you watching over? God, are you close by? God, are you going to come near? That's the question the Israelites have, and that's the question a lot of us have. God, it seems like you've lost track of me. My depression is running rampant. God, it seems like you have no idea what I'm going through. Otherwise, you wouldn't let me go through what I'm going through. You wouldn't let me be going through this divorce. God, do you see me? seems like you're far away. There's no way you can see my painful circumstances, my loneliness, sickness, betrayal, confusion. God, do you see me? Lament allows us to ask God these hard questions. How could this happen? What did I do to deserve this? Do you see me? Lament allows us to be real with God. Friends, God is not looking for some superficial, emotionless, disingenuous relationship. He wants us to be real, even raw, to truly open up, to sincerely express our darkest thoughts, our heaviest emotions, our deepest longings. And lament allows us to do that. But that's not all. Most importantly, lament allows us to experience the gospel. Lament allows us to experience the grace of Jesus in new and deeper and powerful ways because here's the gospel truth. We can know that God sees us in our suffering because of the experience Jesus went through in his suffering. Jesus is, in a sense, the model sufferer. He walked closely with his heavenly father throughout his earthly trial. And the night before he was crucified, Jesus lamented the bitter cup that he had to drink. And as he was crucified, he lamented, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In prayer, Jesus brought all of his pain to the Father, lamenting the difficulty of all that he went through. And in the end, the Father proved his faithfulness by raising Jesus from the grave. Though Jesus had to drink the bitter cup of God's wrath, though Jesus felt forsaken, the Father did see him, the Father did look upon him, and raised him from the grip of death. So brothers and sisters, we can know that God looks upon us in our pain because of what Jesus went through, because of what Jesus went through for us. And so I encourage you, cry out to God. Be honest with God and receive the grace of God in Christ. Know that he does See you in Christ. 
Know that he is near in Christ. Know that he does love you in Christ. In the gravest of all valleys, we can have the hope of ascent because Jesus ascended over the grave and into heaven. And so church, let's continue our pilgrimage. Let's continue our time in exile as citizens of heaven and exiles on earth, bringing all of our pain, all of our shame, all of our grief, all of our depression, all of our hurt. Let's bring it before him, process our pain, fixing our eyes on where he is now and where we're going and receive grace and strength to continue on. God help us in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Father in heaven, we're reflecting on this morning a moment in Israel's history, a moment in the life of your people that was dark, disappointing, heartbreaking. And Father, too, we're learning and remembering and reflecting that we, too, go through these sorts of experiences in our own journey and in our own life with you. And so, Lord, there's heaviness, there's pain, there's difficulty that each one of us have to one degree or another. Certainly, we're connected with people who are going through a lot at the very least. And, Lord, we want you to teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit through the sacred scriptures and in community. We want you to teach us to pray. Teach us to relate with you, to communicate with you, to lament before you. All of our brokenness, all of our darkness, all of our grief, all of our sadness, Lord, help us to be open and honest before you. Teach us, Father. And Father, we also come before you in the name of the man of sorrows, We come before you in the name of the suffering servant, King Jesus, who tasted death, who felt temptation, who felt heartache, who felt anxiety, who felt pain, who felt his body break down. We come before you in the name of our fellow sufferer, the crucified Messiah, Jesus, and we thank you for him. And Father, we thank you too that not only can he identify with us in our pain and suffering, but that he offers us hope. He offers us grace. He offers us healing. And so God, in this last song, we lift high him. We praise his name and we pray that you would renew in each one of us honesty before you and hope in your purposes for our life. God, we pray In his name and by the Spirit, amen.
Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.